It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a really fantastic show. I'll be introducing my guest shortly, and I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It will be terrific. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I will do this every single week. This weekend, uh, I finished reading one of my favorite books, which is Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harbecker. In one of the chapters, he talked about the idea that you will either be someone who will be stopped or someone who will not be stopped, and that is a choice. Many people drift through life and let circumstances dictate what they will do or where they will go, but true champions know that they can create their life. If you have something you really, really want to accomplish, write it down, come up with a plan of action, then decide that you will not be stopped. Making this decision and then acting on it could be a life-changing experience. The man who's my very special guest this week has done this over and over again, and that is one of the reasons he has succeeded in life. With all this in mind, I do want to introduce my guest. And uh, before I forget, let me give you the call-in number in case you'd like to call in and participate in today's discussion. That number is 866-405-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. My guest this week is Ron Klein. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Ron Klein is a man who has accomplished extraordinary things. He's a problem solver. Every solution has resulted in monumental change, either in a new invention or a simple solution. His innovation and ideas have changed the world. For example, he is the inventor of the magnetic strip on the credit card. He invented the credit card validity checking system. He also developed a computerized system for the real estate service, the multiple listing services, which is really amazing. He also uh, is credited with developing the voice response system for the banking industry, and he also automated the the bond quotation system for the New York Stock Exchange. He has done so much. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. So with that in mind, I do want to introduce my guest, Ron Klein. Ron, are you there? I'm here, Brian. Thank you so much. That sounded wonderful. Well, My yeah. God. I wonder who that guy is, right? <laughs> Did he do that's, all of that? Wow. He must yeah. be old. <laughs> well, that's is fantastic. Well, Ron, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, you have a lot to share, and I know that you're going to provide great value for my audience today. So the very first question that I ask everybody is to have you tell us a little bit about, our, about your background and your backstory. How is it that you got to where you are now? You've had a very interesting history. Well, it, it is an interesting story. I came from an average family. My, my dad was, these were just ordinary working people, and I grew up during the Depression. So my dad was a postal worker, and my mom worked in a department store as a sales clerk. 
And, um, you know, we had very little money at the time. It was, it was just when the First World War was in the process. Not First World War. Where am I? It was the Second World War was just breaking out. So I was born in 1935. So um, I was one of the, uh, the kids that used to play on the streets in Philadelphia and would make my own toys. I got 10 cents every week to go out and buy a, a model airplane or a kit. And that, that was my entertainment. Other than that, I lived with shirt cardboard. That was the cardboard that came with the shirts when they would bring them back from the laundry. Shirt cardboard and masking tape, and I would make my own toys. And I had a ball. I loved it. And as I grew up, um, my teachers discovered that I was very artistic. And I had uh, talent, for graphic talent. I would, I would draw well, and um, they encouraged me to go on for commercial art. And that's what I did. I, I went on for commercial art to a vocational school, then went on further to uh, enroll in a, a professional um, a museum school of art and studied commercial art. And uh, by the time I graduated, right around that time, the Korean War had broken out and I was drafted in the service and spent my time in the Korean War. And then when I came back from the service, and believe me, it, it, I grew up fast coming back from the service because I was drafted at age 18, mm-hmm. I realized that what I truly wanted was engineering. I always loved engineering. I always played with technical things, and I was always kind of inventive. And the, the big question that most people ask is, well, where did I come up with all this inventive talent? Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I was uh, uh, late in life, um, I was invited to speak on a, a show with a speaker, a very uh, fine guest speaker by the name of Willie Jolly. And he invited me, once I spoke on his radio show, he invited me to meet him in New Orleans to come out for dinner with he and his wife. And his wife was asking me, Ron, where, you know, was your father an inventor or your, your mom? Did they encourage you? And I said, not really, but my grandfather, my mother's father was a, a great inventor, he, and I idolized him. I spent a lot of time with him. He was my mentor. He invented mm. the first steam propulsion uh, mechanism for steamships, and he invented during the First World War a torpedo detector for submarines. Uh, he invented the first pressing machines for tailors. That's those big wow. machines. They pressure pants. Uh, Back in the early 40s, when the television first came out, he invited, invented the um, rabbit ears for antennas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a diamond cutter and a magistrate and quite a guy. He even taught me how to sew. So that's wow. uh, when my when this Willie Jolly's wife was talking to me. She said, well, geez, you really sound like a grandfather. She said, what possibilities? And I said, wow, what a great name for a book. The grandfather of possibilities, and that's how that came about, Brian. So I'm wow. going to take a break and let you digest a little bit of that. That's great. You also uh, earned a Purple Heart when you were in the military, didn't you? Yes, I did. You didn't yes. mention that. That's pretty impressive too. Wow, well, that's. I'm well, not, you grew I'm not out of that. I was just, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh. Okay. Well, you came from a, very much so, you came from an inventive family, or you came from a family where your creativity was highly encouraged, and I think that's really wonderful. Not everyone has that opportunity, and especially when you saw your dad invent all of these wonderful things, I bet that really spurred your imagination too, didn't it? 
Well, that was my grandfather. Yeah, when I oh, saw your my grandfather. Grandpa, yes, excuse me. Yes, my dad was a postal worker, and uh, the interesting thing about my dad and what I what I loved about him was uh, he was a musician. He he played the banjo mandolin for years, and uh, and he got me interested in musical instruments. And we lived in Philadelphia, and I don't know some of the Philadelphians might understand this and, and remember it, but there was the famous Mummers Day parade every New Year's Day. And we were in the string bands together. I started at age six, and he got me starting started on playing a little ukulele. And then from mm-hmm. the ukulele, I graduated to a guitar, and from the guitar to a tenor banjo and to a bass. So I paraded for many, many years up to age 16 in the Mummers parades with my dad, uh, you know, dressed up in all those Mardi Gras kind of contests or uh, costumes and paraded in the Philadelphia Mummers parade. So all through my high school uh, years, I played in a band. And um, when I was young, still in uh, high school, I entered a contest with the, uh, the Paul Whiteman contest in Philadelphia. It was a talent contest. And I won my mother a refrigerator because I played the guitar and won first prize. And I did so well. They sent me off to New York to be on TV. And I won the contest in New York uh, when I'm 16 years old and won her a freezer. So how about that? So that's my magnificent talent from my younger age. How about that? Wow. That's great. And you also recorded with somebody too, didn't you? Yes, I did. I recorded with a, uh, a local band, and uh, we cut a record, and I don't know how many records that sold, but, but that was a lot of fun because I loved playing music. That's actually how I went, uh, met my wife. When I came out of the service, I was playing with a little jazz band at all these college gigs, and uh, the saxophone player that played with us, mm-hmm. he had to be a friend of my wife, and he introduced me to my wife, and the rest of the story is 55 years later, we're still married. How about that? That's great. That is wonderful. I really love that. And uh, one thing I was also very impressed with you about is that I read your book was the fact that as you were getting starting out, no job was beneath you. And you just had that attitude that, you know, every job is honorable if it's done correctly. Correct? Absolutely. And there's nothing, you know, I never forgot where I came from. I don't constantly look over my shoulder, but um I'm the same as everybody else. I mean, I'm not, I'm not special. Um, I just have a creative mind and I look at things in a simplistic way so I can solve problems. And we'll, you'll hear a lot about that for the next hour when we talk, but um, I'm just a basic guy who grew up on the streets of Philadelphia. Wow. We've got just under two minutes to our break. Is there anything else about your background that you'd like to share with us before the break? And then we'll launch into some of the things that you've done after the break. Well, um, the one thing was, um, I, I think I was very fortunate. I wasn't fortunate to be in the Korean War, but I was very fortunate to be drafted into the military because at age 18, until I got out, I served two years active duty. It really made a man, it made a man out of me. And I think I would like to see peacetime, but I would also like to see everybody, uh, both men and women, serve in the military to really learn how to get along with people and, and appreciate others and really, really develop patriotism for this country. Yeah. I could, I think it, is that two minutes? Yeah, we're, we're under a minute to our break. Yeah. 
So I, I think in some countries it's actually required that everyone spend some time in the military. I mean, it's not required here. It's still a place. But, boy, I'll tell you what, I have such admiration for people who served. Uh, in fact, well, first of all, let me just thank you for serving our country. I mean, that's, that's a huge thank deal. You. you bet. Thank you. We will come right back after a break. This is Success Profiles Radio. My guest is Ron Klein, and we will talk about some of the things he invented and came up with right after the break. Be right thank back. You. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Did you know you can quickly grow your business online and offline for free? SmartGuy.com is one of the fastest growing business networks in the world. Managing over 600 city business networks from Los Angeles, California to the country of Bahrain. In just a minute or two, you can add your business and be quickly listed in their global business directory, local business networks, and get a free web page that can actually rank on top of major search engines in as little as one to two weeks. No kidding. Simply go to www.smartguy.com. Fill out your company information and you're set. So add your business for free and find out why everyone loves a smart guy. Smartguy.com. At Solave, we think a person's voice is the most powerful form of marketing, so that's what we want to invest in. While other companies spend billions on traditional marketing, we reward you for sharing Solave with your connections. We began with a simple idea. A single relationship has the power to make life better for many people. We took this idea and turned it into a company that can make commerce less expensive and even profitable for everyone. We started with mobile phone service because it's something all of us already use, and it's the technology connecting us every day. We put you in charge of what you pay for mobile service. And simply making the switch to Solave is the first step to spending less. $49 a month for unlimited voice, text, and data. But it gets even better. You can earn money just for sharing Solave with others. As your network of connections grows, both through your actions and the actions of each person who joins because of you, you can quickly be paying nothing for your mobile service and even make a profit every month. Visit us online at www.social-commerce-now.com to learn more and join the Solave revolution. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. I am your host, Brian K. Wright. And my very special guest this week is Ron Klein, who has invented many, many, many things. And we will talk about some of those things right now. If you want to call in and talk to us and ask Ron a question, uh, that number is 866-404-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. And, Ron, before the break, we talked about your military career and how you grew up in a family that encouraged you to be very creative and innovative. So let's talk about probably the, the, the thing that you probably are most known for, and that is the invention of the credit card magnetic strip. I mean, you've done so many things that most people just dream about. 
tell us how you came up with this idea of putting a magnetic strip on a credit card that stores all of our information. Okay, what I was saying before the break was that that was probably one of the simplest challenges I ever had in my life. And, and I analyzed the challenge by saying, what is the given and what's the solution I'm looking for? And everything else in between is just the journey. And anything other than just what the given is, is superfluous information. So at the time, the director of a major department store came to me and said, we have a situation where we want to speed things up. We have negative account numbers that we have that we receive every month. These are people that are credit risks, and that list exists. And we produce a very, very large book every month and deliver that to the merchants. And when the merchant makes a charge purchase or a credit purchase, they have to go through this book every month, and, and it's chronologically in order, and look to see if your number is in there. And if your number's not in there, you're good to go. If it's in there, then they confiscate the credit card and they don't make the sale. So the given is negative account numbers exist. And the, the goal is to make it easier and remove the responsibility from the merchant who should not make a sale to a person that has poor credit. So there's the given and there's the solution. What has to be solved in between is what do you do with that? And what's the problem? The problem is at holiday time, they would build up a big queue because the merchant would have to start looking through every every charge sale. He'd have to look through this long list of account numbers. So the, the situation was, we want to speed that up. A very simple solution. So, and this was in the early 60s. There was no PCs and no internet. Right. So what did I do? I just took all those negative account numbers and put it into a big memory bucket. At that time, it was like big magnetic storage units. And then gave the merchant a little keypad at his desk at the point of sale. He would key in the account number that he would read off the plastic credit card. It would go into the memory system. If the number wasn't there, the person was good to go. So that was the invention of the first point of sale, the validity checking system. And right around that time, I said, well, you know, we can take it one step further, logically thinking, let's put some intelligence in that little piece of plastic. Right now, all it is is a card with the person's name and the embossed credit card number that they pushed through an embosser on the sale, on the sale slip. And right around that time, magnetic tape recorders, reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders came out. And I figured, geez, I understand that principle. It's a piece of tape with music recorded on it, and it goes past a reed head with two motors at a governed speed so it doesn't speed up or slow down and sound like Mickey Mouse. And all it is is music passing through this read head, and it's reading the music on that tape. And I said, well, how about if I could take a little piece of that tape, record the person's account number on it, and then paste that on the back of the credit card and make you the motor? In other words, you're the guy that pushes it in, pulls it out fast, or swipes it. So the human is the motor. So there's really no invention, is it? It's just taking a little piece of tape and replacing the motor with the human to slide it through the, the reader. And all I'm doing is mimicking, mimicking a, uh, a tape reader. And that was the invention of the magnetic tape on the back of the credit card. And, and the reason it has lasted so long, Brian, is because when you think about it, it doesn't require energy. It's just mm -hmm. a piece of tape. There's no energy in that piece of tape. And if there's no energy in it, it doesn't radiate. And if it doesn't radiate, it can't be pirated. Somebody can't come up and scan your back pocket. And we'll talk about that a little later with the new card with the microchip in it that needs a shield. Yeah. 
So that's why it really lasted so long. So that was a pretty simple thing to just analyze and say, well, what's the given negative account numbers? What's the solution I'm looking for? I want to take less than the responsibility on the merchant. And that was it. So the first was develop a point of sale, putting the stuff in a memory unit. And then the rest was taking an invention that already existed, was a mag, which, which was a, a tape recorder, and making you, the human, to whiz that little piece of tape through the reader. So there's your answer on the magnetic strip on the credit card. That is really impressive. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you saw a need and you filled it. And that's what all great entrepreneurs and inventors do is they see something that's missing and they figure out how to fix that which is missing. And so I want to talk about the idea of recognizing opportunity because entrepreneurs and inventors are very good at this. Uh, two people can see the exact same situation, yet only one of them might see possibilities that exist. Is this something that can be learned, or do you think this is intuitive? How do you think bad talent gets developed? Well, you know, here's here's some a magic word. It's never the idea that you sell. It's the benefit. Okay? Everybody should write that down. You don't sell the idea. You sell, you sell the benefit. That's the intellectual property. That's the magic sauce, whether it be an application or whether it be some methodology or whether it be a widget. You have to look at things very logically. And when you look at it logically and analyze that, you sell the benefit, not the idea. And that's a learning process. That's something that you learn by being aware and paying attention. You know, lots of people hear, but not everybody listens. Lots yeah. of people lots of people see, but they don't have vision. So that's the way you have to learn. There's always something to learn every day. When we walk down the street, there's so much happening around us that maybe you didn't experience before. You tuck yeah. that away in the right side of your brain, and then when you need that recall, it's there. Uh, yeah. and, and I have many examples as to how that came about and how I utilized it. But you don't have to be a genius. You just have to be a logical thinker and be aware. Like the old yeah. word problem we solved in when we went to grade school, they would give you all the superfluous information and you'd have to sift out what's the given, what's the solution I'm looking for, and get rid of all that junk in between. That's just, yeah. you need stickability and flexibility to get rid of that junk in between when you hit these hurdles, but never lose sight as to what's the given and what's the solution you're looking for. I love that paradigm. What's the given and what's the solution you're looking for and the rest will find its way if you are intuitive enough to figure out what you have to work with. I love that. So exactly. let me ask you something. Uh, people do tend to look at situations sometimes as a massive source of frustration, but you look at them as challenges. So uh, are you normally inclined to think like this, or is it something that you had to train yourself to do? I always looked at it that way because I never looked at a problem as a problem because I would see people with problems carrying problems around and they were frustrated constantly. And every time I would turn a problem into a challenge because it was a challenge, there was an opportunity behind it. Whether you took advantage of that opportunity it was something else. Now, sometimes challenges have to be obliterated because they're a burden. So if it's a challenge that becomes a burden, then you obliterate it, get rid of it. If it's a challenge that has an opportunity behind it, find that opportunity and take advantage of it. Never lose your passion and always have that can-do positive attitude. We can really do anything in the world we want to do. Every one of us can be an Olympic person. We can be out and, and, and 
participate in the Olympics. I don't know if we're going to win. I don't know if we're going to be successful, but there's nothing stopping us from being an Olympian, right? Right. Um, so that's the approach. You can do anything you want. You can do it to the best of your ability. And the best of your ability might not be the same as your next door neighbor, but at least you're trying to have that positive can-do attitude. And that's Absolutely. what makes an us right? There is no yeah. such thing as can't. There is no such right. word as can't. There is no such word. Actually, I would suggest everybody who has a dictionary at home, look up the word problem, tear that page out, and then look up the word challenge and highlight it and live your life by that. Absolutely. we got about two and a half minutes for our next break, so I do want to spin that off into a discussion about something very related. We talked a little bit earlier about making mistakes and how society conditions us that that's bad. But you tell us the exact opposite. There is value in making mistakes. I mean, that's how inventors make their living. So talk to us about how you embrace making mistakes. Okay. Do you want to do that before the break or after? Because I've got a nice little story for you on that. Well, we got about two minutes. Okay. Well, let me give you this. One of my biggest mistakes, which turned into a major, major profitable venture for me, and eventually... It was um, after I sold my first public company, I had developed the voice, the uh, um, developed the credit card system, then MLS for real estate, and it was growing and growing. And then I developed voice response for banking, and I took the company public, and I had over 125 employees, really doing well. And um, I was offered a nice price by a major insurance company, and sold the company, and then found out that. At age 34, I wasn't ready to retire. So I failed at retirement and went back to work. And now I'll tell you the rest of the story after the break. How's that? Sounds very good. You talked a little bit about uh, the importance of passion a little bit ago. I mean, you you have to have passion to drive you or you're just not going to really make it anywhere, right? Exactly. You can't sell, You can't be satisfied with second best. You have to have the passion to really make something happen in your life. We're all here to contribute in one way or another. And if we're not contributing... We're just wasting our neighbor's time, really. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love when you that. Come back. Okay. Absolutely. Got a great story. Yeah. Great. Well, we've got just under a minute to our break. My very special guest this week is Ron Klein. He is the inventor of the credit card magnetic strip. He also created the check of credit validity system for the banking industry. He also uh, has invented or did invent the, uh, the multiple listing systems for the real estate industry, and we will talk about that when we come back from the break. And uh, he's known as the Grandfather of Possibilities. His website is www.thegrandfatherofpossibilities.com, Ron? Yes, it's that. It's www.thegrandfatherofpossibilities.com. And there's also another way you can get to it. It's... All right, we'll come right back after the break. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. 
energy-saving solutions, innovative double green plan enables you to switch to energy-efficient LEDs and other modern lighting with no upfront cost. Modern LEDs are far more efficient than other types of lighting, but for many businesses, schools, and nonprofit organizations, the reason for sticking with the old inefficient lighting is the cost of replacing them. While an old-fashioned incandescent bulb may cost a dollar, LED costs $30 or more, and that's why energy-saving solutions has designed our double green plan. Double green allows you to convert to LEDs with no out-of-pocket cost. We'll pay for your new lights, and you'll pay us back with a percentage of your savings. From the very first day that your new LEDs are lighting your life, you'll realize a positive cash flow, and you'll be doing something positive for our environment. For a free cost and energy savings analysis, call Joshua May at 888-620-8133, extension 7082, or visit us online at www.energysavingindustry.com. and motivation every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Learn how to maximize your mojo and just say no to the status quo. Get inspired and motivated by a fun-loving coach who knows what it's like to get through this thing called life. With your high-on-life coach, Audra Irwin, each Friday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time and 12 noon Eastern. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Ron Klein, inventor of many, many things. We talked about how he invented the uh, magnetic strip for the credit card in the last segment. And we were closing out the last segment when we were talking about the value of making mistakes because that's how inventors and entrepreneurs ultimately succeed. And, Ron, you wanted to share a story about how making a lot of mistakes actually benefited you. Yes. And here, here it was. So I had sold my public company. And I started uh, selling as an individual, representing other companies' products in the communication field because I was very, very sharp in that field. I had, when I came out of the service, I had graduated as an electronic engineer, and that was when my career really started because I was developing things and then had a great feeling for marketing and sales and understanding how it was to be a liaison between technical people and people who had the requirement. So I was calling on a client, and this client had a bid sheet from Western Union on his desk. I questioned him about it, and he said, oh, it's bids for teletype equipment that Western Union puts up for every every week for sale as bids because they refurbished their teletype equipment. And uh, we no longer need it because they were from the Associated Press. He said, we're, we're fully stocked. You're welcome to use these bid sheets and go ahead and bid on it yourself. And this was around the time it was in the early 70s before video terminals came out and teletype machines were pretty much the market because that's the way that that replaced uh, that was the replacement at the time for email because it was a, a typewriter that you could type on and it was a printer that communicated over the telephone line. So if you wanted to call the guy down the street or another company, you would talk to him over these teletype machines. They called them Twix and Telex through the telephone network. 
And I figured, geez, that's a great business because I'm very familiar with it. I'd like to get involved with those products because they were using them as PCs were coming out. They were using them as input-output terminals because, again, it was before video terminals. Right. So I took the bid sheet and I started bidding and winning equipment from Western Union every week. Bought myself a truck and I would drive up there and pick up the truck, a little old junk truck, and take this refurbished parts and scrap back to a little shop and filter through it. And I hired a little guy to help me with that. And we would get rid of the junk and utilize the good parts that were used or they were just recently replaced by the, by the refurbishment process. So I was in the used teletype business and I was selling parts for 50 cents on a dollar because all the major manufacturers, uh, the major carriers like RCA and ITT were using these machines and selling these machines and they were paying list price to AT&T and Western Electric for the parts and I was selling them for 50 cents on a dollar and everybody had parts manuals. It was a great business. Yeah. And now here, come, here comes the mistake. Western Union in the mid-70s decided they were going to get out of the tel Twix and Telex business and the teletype business, liquidate everything they had, and go in the satellite business. And they put up 12,000 of these old, old teletypes for sale for bid. And nobody else bid on them but me. And I bid pennies on a dollar. And I was so happy. I won them all. I won yeah. 12,000 machines. However, the mistake was I never asked where they were. Oh, my. Now, these weighed thousands of pounds. They were the big old machines. They used them on battleships for communications. They were made in the early 50s. They weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds. 4,000 of them were in a warehouse about 60 miles from my little shop. That was fine. Great. So now I had 4,000 machines I could refurbish, use for parts. Great. The other 8,000 were all over the country. They were in Texas. They were in California. They were in Chicago. And I was told by Western Union, you got 30 days to get them out. And I figured, oh, my God, how do I get rid of 8,000 machines all over the country that weigh thousands and thousands of pounds? So I figured, okay, I guess I made a big mistake. So the first people I called was the junk, the scrap dealers. And I called the scrap dealers that were in the precious metal business. And they came in and started examining some of these machines and discovered in the bottom of these machines, because they were set up as communication devices. They were very rich in printed circuit cards. And around that time, before they came out with all the microchips and everything, printed circuit cards contained capacitors and resistors and transistors. That was before little modules. And they were on these printed circuit cards that had these little traces that made for conductivity. And because they were made so many years ago and gold was cheap, they were gold traces. All the printed circuit cards had gold traces and little gold fingers on them where they plugged in. So the scrap dealer said, let's take this stuff, soak it in a cyanide bath. I didn't know about this. And cyanide bath extracts the gold and makes it surface to the top. They'd skim off the gold. Well, they sold it and split it with me. I had more money than I could handle because now I owned all the machines for nothing and still had profit, which I had already paid pennies on the dollar. So that was fantastic. And that was right around the time that gold was $35 an ounce. And then it shot up in the mid 50, in the mid 70s to $800 an ounce. So I was a hero. However, the mistake didn't go away because now I had 8,000 pieces of junk because they were inoperable. They had no value because all the electronics was gone. 
all they were was the heavy printers and keyboards and, and the steel cabinets. So I figured, okay, ingenuity, I got to think of something. I called another scrap dealer, and this one was a metal scrap dealer. And they were from a foreign country. And they said, right around that time, there was a famous car that we, I'm not mentioning any names, was just coming out in the United States. And they had a real serious rust problem on their, with their bodies because their steel lacked chromium in it. And the scrap dealer did an assay, did a test on my cabinets of all these thousands of teletypes and discovered because they were used on battleships, they were very rich in chromium so they wouldn't rust. Well, I made a deal with this automobile manufacturer. I said, you can have all these things, take them away. I'll give them to you for a very reasonable price. And now you can melt it down for all the chrome you want. So look how I learned from that mistake of taking advantage, turning something into a profit. However, wow. it even got better because now in, I owned all the rest of the 4,000 machines for nothing and I was in the replacement parts in the teletype business. I got a phone call from the New York Stock Exchange saying that I had in my inventory 270 some odd machines that they needed for their trading floor expansion and they were being held by Western Union and now Western Union said they sold to my little company Please come to the New York Stock Exchange and let's talk about a deal. Then that's a whole new story because what came about then was they were paying a very expensive rental to AT&T for the machines that they use as English. Yeah. Is that another break? Yeah, that's that's really great. Yeah, that, that's a really great story about how you took something that you thought was a big mistake and you turned it into something that actually benefited you and, and profited you. So let me ask you something. I mean, you, you talk in your book about how you need to have a safe way out no matter what you're doing. Is this another way of saying you need to have an exit strategy? Absolutely. Before, you know, I, I use the analogy in a very simple analogy. Before I walk into somebody's front door and close that door behind me, I look to make sure that there's a back door somewhere. So that if I go in the front door and close it behind me, there's always an exit out. And I use that theory in worst case analogous because what's the worst case that can happen in every situation? And before I close a deal or go into a relationship, I worst case and say, what happens if the whole thing goes sour and I have to get out? And that's my exit strategy. It's not an exit strategy as to how do I take the profit and sell the company? That's something else. How do I sell the entity? It's how do I get out of something as almost as easy as I got into it without being hurt too bad? So that's my that's what I mean by exit strategy. Okay, okay. We also talked uh, a little bit about how you created the uh, multiple listing service system for the real estate industry. How did that happen? Well, again, that was another simple task because that happened in 1967. Um, when you think about People at the time, let's say somebody in New York is going to be moving to California and they want to know that when they get to California, there's a realtor that already has a property that's ready, that suits his needs. You know, it has the proper number of bedrooms. It could be close to a school. It has a swimming pool and so on and so forth. So I figured the best thing to do is every multiple list that or every listing that takes place in the country, that listing has to be placed into a major database and a central database in the country. And at that time, it happened to be in Chicago. That's where the National Board of Realtors was located. So everybody that listed a property put that information in that central processor. 
And then what I came up with at the time, their touchtone telephones were just about ready to come out. But most people had rotary phones, the old dial phones. Yes. So I manufactured and built acoustic couplers. These were little boxes that you can take the handset from the telephone, you dial up the, com- the number that you're looking for, or let's say the central processor, take that telephone and put it into this little acoustic coupler, and then touchtone technology was just coming out. I built little keypads that would touchtone through the earpiece of the phone into the central processor. So that was the old, that was the first system as to how to beep coded tones through the telephone network into a central computer. And then I built a little device that replaced the push buttons of the phone and then became just little thumb wheel switches where you would set up parameters of what you would want in a property and push a button and it would automatically scan those thumb wheel switches and send that to the central processor. So that was the way we came up with multiple listing where you could put in from any location you want. You could even work out of a telephone booth and a realtor could take this little portable terminal, put the information in that portable terminal. It would go to the central processor and then a realtor out in California would know exactly what somebody was looking for in New York. And that was the start of multiple listing service. Again, just simplifying the challenge. Yeah, that's great. We've got just a few seconds to our final break. I cannot believe how quickly this show is going. My very special guest this week is Ron Klein. He invented the credit card magnetic strip. He created the multiple listing service for the real estate industry. He also automated the New York Stock Exchange in terms of their bond quotation system. And you can find him at www.thegrandfatherpossibilities.com to learn more about him and what he's done and and what he's up to now. We will come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please don't go away. Be right back. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Looking for the perfect destination in Costa Rica, Panama, or Thailand? Concerned about the economy and looking for an escape plan? Then you need to go to escapeartist.com and learn how you can live, work, invest, retire, or do business overseas. Escape Artist has the perfect plan for you. Join our 400,000 readers and get your free subscription to Escape from America magazine. Visit www.escapefromamerica.com and create your escape plan right now. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. 
Brought to you by Author You and the Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio, and we're talking to Ron Klein, inventor of many things, talked earlier about how he invented the credit card magnetic strip. We talked about how he created the MLS real estate multiple listing service. And now, Ron, I want to ask you, you mentioned a connection with the New York Stock Exchange when you sold those teleprinters. You are automating uh, the bond quotation system for the New York Stock Exchange. What a rush. How did that happen? Well, it was interesting, uh, you know, being on the trading floor every day because I, I sold them the additional teletype equipment that we had, and part of the deal was we had to maintain it. So I hired some people there, and we were on the trading floor every day maintaining that equipment and replacing it with spares. And being on the trading floor every day, and this was in the 70s when I actually got there, and I was I spent about 25 years on the trading floor just automating different things because it was so antiquated at that time. There was so much opportunity, program trading and such and such. But then – in 1983, I noticed that the bond, the corporate bond trading floor was still an auction crown because the New York Stock Exchange trades two things. They trade stocks, which is equity, and then they trade corporate listed bonds, which is fixed income. Well, the stocks was all automated. They had terminals for that, but the fixed income was an auction crowd. And I came up with a way of enabling the brokers to trade right from their desks, just like they trade um, the equity. And when I approached the exchange and told them that I could do this and I wanted a, a license to do this as a vendor and I had a way to do it, they said, we've been doing it like this for 200 years and I don't think you'll be able to sell it. And I said, well, will you give me an exclusive license if I can develop and do it? And I came up with a whole process to do it. And I would take the main line from the New York Stock Exchange and I would run it to the individual brokerage offices give them a little box that would filter the data out and a video terminal that would, would examine it. And I negotiated that with the exchange and then came up with the, the problem of how do you sell it to brokers who are, will only give you five seconds on the phone and when you ring up their phone, if you're not buying or selling a bond, they're not interested. So how do you sell this? How do you make a sales call? So what I did was I befriended, again, trying to find a, simplify the solution, I found the leading, I made friends with the leading bond broker on Wall Street from the largest firm. And I said, I'm going to give you a system free for 30 days. Just use it. And you can trade right from your desk while everybody else is trading on the auction floor and working with telephones. And he said, sure, why not? Well, he did. He had such success because he had information long before everybody else because they were still trading on the floor. He was topping everybody's bids. And his phone rang off the hook saying, how the heck are you doing this? And he said, oh, you need one of those little Ron Klein boxes. And that, that's how you do it. Well, within 60 days, I almost had 100% of the Wall Street market for all the bond traders. And then I wow. said, how great is this? And uh, what I did was I charged every bond trader an absorbent amount of dollars to join my club. 
because that was the fat times on Wall Street. And if you didn't charge them a lot of money, they didn't think there was value in it. So I charged them a a whopping sum. So I was able to finance everything. And then I rented them this little box, which only cost me $100 to build. And I rented it to them for $300 a month. And it was in existence and and provided transparency for over a quarter of a century. So that was pretty successful. That worked well. But, and you but and your story brings. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Did, I was going to say your story brings up two very important points that I do not want to be missed. Number one, if you're selling something, the idea of letting somebody sample it for free for a short while is actually a very good idea, especially if you are offering something that is not a well-known commodity. It's all about educating somebody first about what this can do for you. And number two, you applied that center of influence strategy. If you can get somebody really influential to buy into what you're doing, it makes selling the rest of the herd really easy, doesn't it? Absolutely. And and the most important thing, Brian, is you have to give before you get. And when you give, the whole philosophy here and my entire philosophy after I had a very large company and now I just wanted it to be a controlled entity – I wanted something that I only had to sell once and then just service. So once I sold the bond system, everybody had to have it. So it was residual income. And that's why it lasted over a quarter of a century where it was just a rental product. In other words, I was selling a service that happened to utilize uh, an, an instrument and I was renting that instrument. So the instrument and the device was incidental to the benefit that I was selling. Remember, I didn't sell an idea. I sold a benefit. And the benefit was they could trade instantaneously from their desk and it replaced the auction crowd on the floor. So that was so important. And Absolutely. Yeah. And then I had another little upset right after I had this whole thing working. The New York Stock Exchange wanted to cancel my entire contract because they said what I was doing, I was running the line, the main New York Stock Exchange line to every brokerage office but only giving them the bond service and they were paying for the, the brokerage houses were paying for my service plus the line. And the exchange said, you can't do that because that line contains more data than the member firms are entitled to unless they pay for it. So therefore it's in violation. So we have to cancel your entire contract and you have to stop the service, cease and desist. And I said, let me think about that a while. It took me five minutes and I said, I got the answer. Pretty simple. I'll be the common carrier. I'll pay for the line so I own it, and then I'll bill the member firms just a portion of it for what they're using. So I'm not in violation now. I'm the common right. carrier. And they said, son of a gun, you did it again. And Great. a quarter of a century later, it was still out there working. That's wonderful. So let me ask you what you're working on now. Okay, and now I'm working on a product that I'll be releasing very shortly. I've got a patent on it. And this is a very simple approach to helping the visually impaired blind people or people with macular degeneration and so on and so forth, being able to identify any item they want by putting a special coded label on that item, then taking their cell phone, pointing at that item or being in a general facility, and they'll read that item's special label and tell them in the loudspeaker what it is that, that the item is, whether it be their blood pressure medication or their jelly jar or their peanut butter or their blue shirt in their closet. And it works perfect. I finally got it developed. It's being developed by a, uh, a partnership that I formed um, in Europe. 
and we'll be releasing this hopefully this fall. So that's going to be pretty revolutionary, and it's very, very inexpensive for a blind person to get this. The app will be free, and the labels will be very inexpensive. So that's what I'm working with now, along with helping people with their ideas, provisional patents, consulting, and, and doing all that, that other work. So if someone wants to invent a product and they're looking for a patent, you can help them do that. Oh, absolutely. The most important thing is I will uh, I will verify and, and make sure that there is something that's patentable, that there is intellectual property there, that it has benefit, and uh, if it doesn't, I'm going to save them a lot of money. And if it has value and has good application and, and benefit and a methodology that's patentable, I'll put together for them a provisional patent, which is fairly inexpensive. It gives them a 12-month window of time to really go out and take this to market, and then they can either manufacture it or outsource it or just license it. And there's many different ways to monetize it, and I take them through that whole process and help them. And I help them understand what it's all about. So that's pretty much what I'm doing now. That's great. And how can we find your book, Ron? Okay, either on my website. You can buy it on my website or it's on Amazon. It's called The Grandfather of Possibilities, and it's for sale on Amazon. And if you email me at ronkline at thegrandfatherofpossibilities.com, I'll send you a copy and a signed copy. So either way, you can buy it on Amazon or you can buy it through my website. If you do buy it through my website, I'll give you a signed copy. That's wonderful. That's really, really great. And for those of you that have not read the book yet, a lot of the things that we talked about today are in the book, and there's a lot more we didn't get to because we only have an hour to work with. So let me ask you, Ron, the question that I ask everybody is we are getting ready to close the show. We've got less than three minutes. Who inspires and motivates you? Um... I think just being around, well, let me put it this way. I tried retirement three times and I failed at it. So what inspires me and what motivates me is being able to help others. It's that stickability and the ability to really help others find their way. And, and there's no reason why all of these people out there can't do the same thing that I've done. You've just got to be at the right place at the right time and take advantage of that opportunity because there's opportunities that pop up every day because the world is full of problems. And if you turn those problems into challenges, that's what motivates me to turn around and help someone else. And I don't have all the ideas and there's loads of ideas and, and uh, very inspiring things out there. And if they would just bring them to me and I could help them, I would, it, it really, it makes me feel great because um, I'm not empty yet. Let's put it that way. Right. You know, my good friend Les Brown says um, you have to keep going until you're empty. And if you're not empty, you don't stop. So I'm still out there working and, and keeping my brain active and looking to mentor and help young people and other people to really succeed. Because that's the one thing that's going to really save this nation, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you're still breathing, you're not done yet either. I'm going to leave your audience with three words that I really go by. You have to be smart, daring, and different. Write that down. That. Smart, daring, and different. I love that. That's really fantastic. And one more time, how can people reach out to you? Again, they can reach me on my website at Ron Klein. That's R-O-N 
K-L-E-I-N, at thegrandfatherofpossibilities.com, or they can, that's by email, or they can just go on my website, thegrandfatherofpossibilities.com. And, of course, if they Google me and just say Ron Klein Inventor or Ron Klein, the Grandfather of Possibilities, I'm probably on about the first 14 pages. There you go. There you go. And we are getting ready to close the show. This has been Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and my very special guest this week was Ron Klein, inventor of the credit card magnetic strip, developer of the real estate multiple listing services, and automator of the bond quotation system on the New York Stock Exchange. Get his book. Go to thegrandfatherpossibilities.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can link up with me on um, Facebook. Go to Success Profiles Radio page on Facebook. You can find me, uh, Success Profiles Radio, on YouTube, and you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Mr. Brian K. Wright. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host Brian K. Wright here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each week